John chapter 14 is where we're going to spend our time this morning. John chapter 14, verses 1 through 14. We are continuing our series through the I Am Statements of Jesus. John chapter 14, verses 1 through 14. If you got it, say, I got it. I still hear some pages turning. We got some folks uh, going old school like me with an actual book. Uh, an actual Bible in hand. So if you have an iPhone, feel free. Uh, we're not partial. You can scroll there, thumb there if you need to. John chapter 14, verses 1 through 14. Hear now the words of the Lord. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that there I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, do know Him and have seen Him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I seen, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on the count of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. This is God's Word. Amen? Amen. It is, some would say, one of the greatest songs ever written. It was first performed in the UK and written by John Lennon in 1967. All you need is love. Love, love, love. Love, love, love. My more seasoned folks, y'all act like y'all don't know this song. All you need is love. Here is a guy who was all about peace and he penned songs uh, in that lane. He was all about peace, but yet his life would be the exact opposite. Filled with drugs, filled with violence against women. Uh, And actually, his life would be taken by being shot four times in the back. It's kind of brutal. Here is a guy who penned the words, All you need is love. His idea was, as long as you have love, you can make it through anything. Even if your, your foundation is a bit rocky, if you only have love, you'll just be all right. He pointed at love and he said, love is the avenue to get all things done and to make it through all things. I mean, here is his recipe 
to joy, to satisfaction, and to all of life. He points to love. And that's all you need. All all you really need in life is love. I mean the audacity of the Beatles to pin such a song. To say that they have cornered the market on all that we need, right? They point to the reality that if you only have love, if you can just grasp love, all conflicts can be rid of. If you just have love. When we look at our text this morning in the same way, Jesus makes this kind of bold claim. He is not making a claim about an attribute or a characteristic, but he's making this claim about himself. Novel thought. Jesus makes this claim that he is literally the glue that holds all things together. It is this idea that more than you and I need the love of another person, we are in desperate need of Jesus. All we need is Him. All we need is Him. I want us to see three main ideas this morning. We'll see that this life is not all that there is. We'll see the exclusive nature of following Jesus. And lastly, we'll see the promises of following Jesus. But before we go to work, let's pray together. Father, thank You. Thank You, Lord, um, for time together. And Father, I pray that we can just lay aside every weight that holds us down. I pray, Father, that we would see you for all that you are, that we would hear you, that that we would spend time with you. Father, I pray that we would encounter you this morning. Would you speak to us, God? Father, thank you that when you ascended into heaven, you did not leave us alone, but you sent for us a comforter. And we say thank you this morning. A comforter in the Holy Spirit. So, Father, would you be present with us? Would you move on our hearts that we would be drawn closer to you? Move me out of the way. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. It's important for us to keep perspective as we are marching through these passages in John's Gospel. John 20, 31, we've said this over and over again. It helps us to stay grounded. John says, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. He comes through the front door. He tells you what His exact purpose is, that you and I may believe that Jesus is the Christ, and through believing, we may have life. He doesn't hesitate to give us a clear picture of exactly where he is going. Can I just say this morning that faith is the goal? And we need to hear that in the the buckle of the Bible belt. We need to hear that faith is the goal. And, And I want to tell you this morning that your virginity is not the goal, although it's a good thing. Your your staying out of conflict is not the goal, although it's a good thing. Your spending your money well is not the goal, although it's a great thing. Faith is the only thing that can save us. It doesn't matter how many times in a month that we come to church, although most of y'all are only going to come twice a month. Um, Faith is the goal. And over and over again, we're going to see, believe, believe, believe. 
What Jesus is after, he's not after our performance, rather he is after our faith. That we may believe and trust in him. That every other thing that desires to take precedence in our life would be denounced, that we would have faith in him. That's Jesus' goal. Directly before our passage in John 13, Jesus is preparing his disciples. He says to them, I won't always be with you. But what I want you to know, but the way that people will know that you belong to me is, get this, by your love for one another. That's heavy stuff. See, John says, faith in Jesus Christ That Jesus is actually the Son of God. That's key. And one element of the fruit of that faith is love for one another. See, the implication of this is that you and I cannot fully love God without loving one another. It's impossible. What John is letting us know is that love for God and love for one another, they are inextricably tied together. You cannot have one without the other. And so that's why I have a hard time with people who say, yeah, I love God, but I really can't stand the church. Whoa. That, that, that's hard to get that out of John's message, that if you actually love God, if, if Jesus is your Lord, you will love his people. You'll be in relationship with, with his people. You'll, you'll, you'll deal with the mess. Of his people, you'll love his church as well. First John four twenty twenty one helps us with this. It says this: If anyone says I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him: Whoever loves God must also love his brother. And if we don't need to hear anything else in Memphis, Tennessee. See, we got to hear this. We got to hear this. The reality that if we are to to know God deepest, we, we will have love for one another. We will have love for Republicans, Democrats. We will have love for the poor. We will have, we will love one another. And before John goes into all of these other things, and before Jesus makes his bold statement that he will make in John chapter 14, the message that he wants us to understand is, you got to love one another. And you cannot move past that point until you get it. And that's the hardest thing. Loving your enemies. Loving folk that get on your last nerve. Jesus says, if you, if you really love me, you will have love for one another. This is more than a John Lennon kind of love. This is an everlasting kind of love. It is a love that is only gifted from God. Then we come to John chapter 14, and one of the main ideas is that this life is not all that there is. And this is beautiful. Look at verses 2 through 3 with me. Jesus says, In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? 
If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. Jesus says, I am going to make ready a place for you. And the implication is, it is not in the current place. He is going to prepare and to make ready a place that is not the same like the place that we're in now. Jesus says to his disciples, I'm leaving, but I will return. And when I return, I'm going to bring you along that you would be with me. And the implication even there is that Jesus is bringing us along to a different kind of place. And you and I ought to be excited about that this morning. Because what we experience in the here and now is not all there is. There's much more to the story. Jesus is making ready a place that is different than the current place that we're in. Did you catch wind of the hope that is there? That there is something better. That there is something more beautiful than what we experience now. There is something that is much more fairer than what we experience and that what we're a part of now. Jesus says, you know the way to where I'm going. One of Jesus' disciples, Thomas, speaks up and he says, he doesn't quite understand what Jesus is is saying here. He says, we don't know where you're going. Then he says this, how will we know the way? How will we know the way? What Thomas is saying there is, how will we understand Christian life? How will we know the way? And dare I say that there are some people in here this morning asking that same question. How will we know the way? How will I understand? How will I recognize how to live this Christian life? How do I get there? How how am I to make it happen? That's what Thomas is asking. How will we how will we know the way? And I know that there has to be some folks who walked in here this morning, and maybe you even put on your good clothes, but yet you are still asking the question, how will we know? How will we understand? And yet Jesus responds in a profound way by saying in verse 6, He says, I am the way. Y'all missed it. Jesus says, I am the way. A part of this is the response to the question that many of us may be asking even this morning. If you want to know how to understand the Christian journey, if you want to know how to understand the Christian way of life, where do you go? You look at Jesus. You look at His life. You you look at His ministry. You look at how He served. You look at how He walked humbly. You look at how He glorified His Father. Look at Jesus. If you came in here questioning and doubting even and asking the question, how do I get there? How do I understand the Christian life? And I dare say to you this morning, look at Jesus. He said of himself that he is the other one, the way. But the other element of Jesus' statement saying, I am the way. It tells us that there is a direction that 
each of us needs to be headed in. And if there is a direction that each of us should be headed in, get this. The place that we're in now is not all that there is. If Jesus says, I am the way, Jesus is saying, the way that you get there is through me. So what we experience here and now is not all that there is. When Jesus says, I am the way, I am preparing a place for you. He's essentially saying there's something more. There's something more beautiful. There is something more satisfying. There is something more worthy in this life. That's what Jesus is saying. That's the direction that Jesus is pointing us to. Jesus hopes to focus our attention, get this, on something bigger. Something bigger than the here and now. Have you ever wondered to yourself, is this it? Is this it? These struggles, these hardships, the things that I'm facing, this heartache, these tears, is this it? And what Jesus is saying here is, no honey, this is not it. There is much more to the story. There's much more to the picture. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 4, 17 through 18. I love this. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. And this is the exact same thing that John is pointing us to. Jesus is pointing us to in John's gospel. He is saying that there is something more beautiful. There is something more worthy. There is something more lasting and eternal. And it can only be found in Jesus. This here is not all that there is. Somebody ought to say amen to that. This is not all that there is. That you and I, if our faith is in Jesus, we have something to look forward to. This is not where life ends for the believer in Jesus Christ. Even in 2 Corinthians 5, chapter one, uh, verse 1, Paul says, For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God. A house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. I want to tell y'all this morning that this is not all that there is. There is something greater, something more beautiful, something worthier for us to look forward to in Jesus Christ. This is not all that there is. So each of these verses, they, they point us to, John 14, they point us to a bigger picture of something that is more beautiful. Um, I was sitting in a coffee shop around the corner when I got a call uh, from a friend of mine. And many of you have heard about the story. Uh, there was a pastor at Fellowship Memphis Church, and he was the campus pastor downtown. And uh, he suddenly passed away. But I'm literally sitting, working, and in the coffee shop, and I get this call, and it's a frantic person on the other end, and they say, Chris, you got to get to Starbucks right now. Something has happened to Sam. Get there right now. So I jump in my car, and I just fly to this Starbucks, and my heart drops. 
when I pulled up to this parking lot and I saw the yellow tape. And I pulled up to this lot and and I couldn't believe it. And as I'm on the phone with this person, I'm asking them, I'm, are you sure? Are, are you sure this is what's happened? Are, are, are you sure? And then when I pulled up, I saw the yellow tape and I saw his car. My heart was broken. And then I saw his wife. Three kids sitting in the car there on the lot. Broken. I saw his co-workers with tears in their eyes. Broken. Here is a guy who was my friend. We talked about life and ministry together. We, I looked back at some old text messages and we were encouraging each other in the Lord and to preach hard and strong. Preach like it's your last man. And it just broke my heart to see all that had happened. And then I went to Sam's Twitter account. And I was just being reminded of some thoughts of Sam. I went back to his Twitter account. And he, one of his last tweets said this. For those who don't know Jesus, this life is the best it will ever get. But those who do know him, this life is the worst it will ever get. And what Sam knew even before he took his last breath was that the the here and now is not all that there is for the believer in Jesus Christ. And the reason Jesus could say in John chapter 14, hey, look over here, I am the way, is because he understood that there was something greater he was pointing to. He understood that it was his job to glorify and to magnify his father. And he was pointing to a home that would be more beautiful, more worthy, and more lasting than anything we can experience on this side of heaven. He trusted that there was something greater. He knew that there was... Something more beautiful. Sam, even before he took his last breath, he had eternity on his mind. Do you have eternity on your mind? Do you understand that this life, this 401k, this house, this marriage even, is not all that there is? And do you understand that all these things that we find our hope in, and I'm guilty of it as well, they are futile and they will only leave us empty. But we see that this morning. Secondly, we ought to see the exclusive nature of following Jesus. Listen to how Jesus presents himself. Listen to verse 6. You know this. Jesus not only says, I am the way, but he says, and the truth. Jesus says, I am the truth. And then he says this at the end of verse 6. No one comes to the Father but through me. Whew. And I got, I got to admit to you this morning that that is a hard truth to accept. That's a That's a tough truth to accept. That there is no other ways? Is is this the only way? Can this be the only way? 
I struggle with that sometimes. And I know that there are some people here, I've talked with you, that you struggle with the reality that Jesus makes such an exclusive claim. You you remember when you were dating, you know, and all of a sudden you're, you're really feeling this person, you're into this person, and I don't know how you word it, you... You had the DTR, right? We, we need to define the relationship, alright? And, and maybe it was because you, you saw the potential of her or him having eyes for somebody else. And so you needed to say, you know what, I, I look, I, baby, I don't want you to go anywhere. And so you had to make that thing exclusive. That's what you did. And in so many words, you you made it clear that let, let, let's keep this thing going and I don't want your eyes going anywhere else. You, you wanted to make it exclusive. And the claim that Jesus is making here is extremely is exclusive. Naturally, when a religion decides that they know the truth, the danger is landing in a place of superiority over others. That's the danger. When you say that my way is the best way, then the tendency is to begin to look down upon somebody else. And that's hard. But yet, what the gospel does is the gospel changes all of that. It ought to. Here's why. Because when you understand the gospel, you understand that you did nothing to work for that grace that you received. And so now you, you, you're not able to look down upon somebody else. Religion allows you to look down, but gospel doesn't allow you to look down. Because gospel says, I am a wretched mess in the face of a holy and a righteous God. Left on my own, I need saving. I, I, I need somebody to stand in my place for my sin. I need a Savior left on my own. And it doesn't allow you to, to look down upon somebody else. We've got to open our eyes to our own sin and our own brokenness. Because even though, yes, this is an exclusive claim that Jesus is making, we... Because of the gospel, because of the gospel of grace, we have no reason to puff ourselves up. We have no reason to look down upon somebody because they have less or more. Because nothing that we have, did we do it on our own. He he gave it to us. See, Jesus is the truth. Get this, because He embodies The supreme revelation of God. Jesus is real truth because what He is doing is He is magnifying His Father. He is the exact representation of His Father. That's why Jesus is the truth. Because He reveals the Creator of the heavens and the earth. The One who created something out of nothing. Ex nihilo. Jesus is the truth because He magnifies His Father. Only Jesus can say, Nobody comes to the Father except through Me. 
only Jesus can say that. Jesus is not saying that Christianity is one more religion amongst many. He's not saying that that Christianity is one way among many, but he is making a very clear, exclusive claim. That's something that we've got to face. And at the end of the day, where you and I stand on Jesus dictates where we land on anything else. See, when, I'm, when I sit down with somebody and they're saying, I'm struggling with this kind of issue, I'm struggling with that, and my first go-to is not, well, you, you need to stop doing that or you need to stop seeing her. My go-to is, what do you believe about Jesus? What, what, what's, what's in your heart about Jesus Christ? How, what do you believe about Him? Where do you stand about His life, His ministry, His work? What do you believe about Jesus? And what do you believe about Jesus in these exclusive claims? I've got a friend. Um, my friend was dating a Muslim. My friend claims to be uh, Christian and she was dating a Muslim. And we were having a conversation you know, about her dating relationship once. And, and I basically said to her, well, how does that work? How do you say that you're a Christian, but yet you're in a relationship with a devout Muslim? How, I just want to know how that works. And, and I've seen it all too often um, of, of friends and, and people in our churches who, you know, they, they do the evangelate thing and I can eventually change his mind. But I'm having this conversation with her, and I said, how does this work? And she was like, well, basically, it's essentially the same thing. We, we essentially believe the same things, right? And I'm like, uh, no, you don't. Because to believe in the Muslim faith, you literally have to stand flat-footed and to say, Muhammad is the prophet of Allah. And Allah is the only God. Muhammad is his prophet. And I believe that in my heart. And to the Muslim, Allah is God. Allah is supreme. But yet in John chapter 14 verse 6, what Jesus says is, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Thank you for that amen. Who's the truth? Is it Allah or is it Jesus? Somebody lying. Who is it? And Jesus makes this exclusive claim, not for us to look down upon somebody else, but for us to embrace Him for all that He is. And I want to tell you this morning, what you believe about Jesus will dictate all of life for you. Where you stand on Jesus Christ will dictate all of life to you. How you say yes or no to His exclusive claim will dictate all of life for you. And there's, there's no way to get around that. At the end of the day, 
each of us make these truth claims. And we're forced to see where we stand on them. See, if your truth claim is there are multiple ways to you, that is truth. If, if your truth claim is that Catholicism reigns or the Baha'i faith reigns or the Muslim faith reigns or Judaism reigns, if that is your truth, that's the truth that you serve. And it's hard to get around any truth because even if your truth is universalism, that's a hard truth to you. And at the end of the day, each of us have to land on what is truth for us. And I want to tell you this morning that indifference is a no to the truth of the Bible. I'm I'm not really going to deal with that. That's a no to the truth of the Bible. And what Jesus says is, here I am. I am not only the way, but I'm also the truth. And nobody gets to my daddy but through me. It's impossible. Lastly, we'll move through this quickly. We need to see the promises of following Jesus. Look at verse 12 with me. It says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. You know, my my overly charismatic friends... Notice I said overly because I would probably consider myself to be charismatic too. Um, uh, My overly charismatic friends would look at this and say, yes, greater. Yes. I'm going to be greater. Yes. We create songs out of this verse. Greater. And I don't think Jesus is saying what we think he is saying. I don't think Jesus is pointing to what we think. We think that we're going to be greater than Jesus. No. That's not at all what Jesus is saying. This is beautiful. Jesus is pointing to the key. Look at the last part of the verse. Jesus says this. Because I am going to the Father. This is beautiful. What does this mean? Jesus says there will be greater works Because I am going to the Father. Jesus is pointing to the resurrection and glorification of himself. And the reality is when Jesus walked on earth, yes, he did miracles and yes, he spoke the truth. But there was no resurrection and there was no glorification. But greater works means that now the church can function under the understanding of the resurrection and the glorification of Jesus. Now those truths can be made whole in our hearts and we can more fully understand and we can go out and we can share the good news of Jesus because Jesus has risen from the grave. And He will one day be glorified for all to see. He is risen and that resurrection and that glorification says greater works will the church do one day. That we can go forth in authority, that you and I can go forth in power, that we can go forth in strength, that our witness and our testimony mean something, that sin and death has been trumped over because of the resurrection and glorification of Jesus. 
we've got hope. And what Jesus is saying is, here is strength and power for the journey. Because of the resurrection and the glorification of Jesus. He says, greater works will the people of God do. Greater works. And here, you and I just get to benefit from association. And I love the way this is aligned because here we see this idea of greater works because of what Jesus says, because I am going to the Father. And the responsibility is not on us. Again, it is on God. Because He is going to the Father, we can look forward to greater works. But yet, it is followed by this element of prayer. And this beautiful piece of dependence upon the Lord. And if we need to get better at anything as the church of Jesus Christ in Memphis, Tennessee, it is falling to our knees and begging God to move. And begging God to work. See, believers in Jesus Christ literally are benefiting from the promises of God just through association. Um, I remember growing up, in St. Louis, and I grew up in a neighborhood very similar to South Memphis or White Haven now, or um, and y'all know I've talked about how I grew up. Um, but I had the opportunity of going to a very nice school that was way outside of my neighborhood of where I grew up, um, and I went to this school seventh through twelfth grade, and. Uh, It's crazy because this school costs more per year than the college I went to. Um, It's that kind of school. You know, I remember the 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 football the the um, quarterback of our varsity football team when he when he uh, turned 16, he got a Beamer, a brand new Beamer. No joke. Now, everybody wasn't at this level in the school, but there were a lot of people that were very very well off. And here my little city behind walks in into this school with not a clue on what the Lord is blessing me with. And I walked in. I came from a family of getting free lunch. um, And yet God sent a person, an anonymous donor, who paid my way through school. Books and all. And even to this day, I don't even know who they are. Here I am, 7th grader, all, all the way through 12th grader. I have no clue what's going on and what I'm walking into. And I get to benefit from the work of somebody else. I, I get to experience the, the benefits and the glory of the work of somebody else and That is exactly what Jesus is pointing to here in John chapter 14. That you and I get to experience and to benefit through faith promises from the Lord that we did nothing to deserve. That's grace. That's mercy. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us and He stood in our place for our sin. He took grace. 
the weight of our sin upon Himself. He took the wrath of God upon Himself for us. He said yes to death. He drunk the cup of God's wrath. And we get to benefit from that obedience. And i got to ask you this morning, have you trusted in that kind of God? That kind of exclusive God? Have you rested in Him? Have you put your faith in Him? Have you said yes to that kind of God? And if you have, amen, say yes to Him when you wake up in the morning. And when you go to bed at night, say yes to Him all over again. But even this exclusive kind of God, He is beckoning those that have not trusted in Him. He is beckoning you to Himself today. Jesus says, All who are weary and heavy laden, come to Me, and I will give you rest. There is no other kind of rest like I will give you, Jesus would say. Come to Me, and I will give you rest. I want every head bowed and every eye closed. And before we close in prayer, would you just, with your head bowed, would you just do business with God in the quietness of your own heart? Dare we not skip past this moment for us to connect with this exclusive kind of Savior? Father, thank you. I pray that your work would continue in our hearts. Lord, I pray that every heart that you are calling to yourself would say yes to you today. Lord, by your Spirit, would you draw? Lord, I have no authority or ability to convince anyone of your truth. But by your Spirit, I know that you can. So would you do it? Would you tug on hearts? Would you knock on doors that we would say yes to you? And through that yes, that our lives would be radically changed. That our love for one another would be radically changed. And through our love for one another, our city would be radically changed. And Father, even these gifts that we're about to receive, we pray that you would bless them. We pray that you would multiply them. Lord, would you take this fish and these loaves and... Lord, would you give us extra baskets left over? We pray that our cups would run over... Father, that we would have the freedom to do ministry in this city and beyond. That you would give us the ability to raise up leaders who have a passion for gospel-centered, multi-ethnic ministry. That you would give us the, the ability to dream big about being a church-planting church. Help us, Father. And thank you for the, the ability to give back to you what already belongs to you. Lord, we're so grateful for all that you've done. In Jesus' name, amen.